Hello, hello, hola, como estas, slow, baja, amigos. My heaping dose of gratitude today goes out to Guillermo Sousa and his son, Billy. They run Tequila Fortaleza. As you well know, it is my favorite tequila, handmade in small batches. Uh, Tequila Fortaleza, I've been doing fun stuff with them since 2008, introducing Mexico-loving racers to the finest tequila in the land. And that brand has grown and grown and grown, and there is a world wide demand that they cannot meet. Their 100-plus-year-old distillery is crank, crank, cranking, and I'm just delighted that they found a couple cases to send down to Baja for me to share with the folks of the Nora 500. Um, When the checkered flag drops and everybody's in safely for the evening, I will be making my rounds, sharing the finest tequila, a little sip here and there in my commemorative slow Baja shot glasses, and I cannot wait. So thanks, Big G. Thanks, Billy. Can't wait to share Fortaleza with all my friends in my Nora family. After the racing day is done, we're going to have a good time, and that's why the Nora is called the happiest race on earth might be the party at night. (laughs) All right. Well, today's show is with one of my Nora friends, Andrew Norton. He is the leading restorer of the Bill Strop Baja Broncos. And we're going to talk about uh, Baja and Broncos and uh, the great history of that vehicle. Um, the Banquet Broncos, the fun 1967 team that uh, wore tuxedos, uh, Big Ole and Parnelli Jones. Uh, Andrew's uh, partner, Todd Zerker, who's a Bronco expert in his own right. Um, we're going to talk about the uh, Nora experience that they had riding with me in the Slow Baja Safari class uh, last April in the Mexican Nora Mexican 1000. And without further ado, Andrew Norton talking about Broncos and Baja. Hey, this is Michael Emery. Thanks for tuning into the Slow Baja. This podcast is powered by Tequila Fortaleza, handmade in small batches and hands down my favorite tequila. Hey, I want to tell you about your new must-have accessory for your next Baja trip. Benchmark Maps has released a beautiful, beautiful Baja California Road and Recreation Atlas. It's a 72-page large format book of detailed maps and recreation guides that makes the perfect planning tool for exploring Baja. Pick yours up at benchmarkmaps.com. I'll try to keep my volume pretty consistent. Try not to get excited about anything. Oh, I, I love it. I love excitement. Don't <laughs> okay. Don't sell yourself short there. I am. Okay. I enjoyed listening to the Pete Brock thing this morning. I, I hadn't seen that you would release that, and I wanted to hear about that because I actually... Uh, when you ask me how I got into the Strop Bronco stuff, uh, it's a little, it's, I started out with Shelby stuff. So I knew, I knew those guys and I knew who they were. And as a preteen and a teen, I was learning everything I could about Shelby stuff. And, uh, Pete Brock was my hero. Pete Brock and Carol Shelby were like my heroes. And the whole special Ford thing is what got me when I saw the Baja Bronco. I was like, Hey, that's something I can maybe afford and nobody seems to know anything about it. I can't read up on the R models. I can't read up on the, uh, the coupes they made to race because nobody can tell me about nobody's, nobody knows about this. Nobody's published it. There's no books on this. 
So that's when I started doing all the research and going to the library and getting old magazines at swap meets. Well, you mentioning Carol Shelby was a childhood hero of mine. And, and I think the way the world worked in our era, Oh, I'm back in our old era. Um, you know, my, my parents, my dad had road and track, subscribed to road and track. So he had a cabinet next to the TV that was full of road and tracks was on one side and the other side of the TV was National Geographic's. And in reflection now, you know, 40 something years later, I think that's the entire, um, that's how my being was formed. Yeah. I loved looking at 15, 20 year old car magazines when I was 10. Yeah. Um, and reading about Shelby and seeing these ads and, and learning all this arcane history that when kids in third grade or fourth grade were talking about baseball statistics or something, and I was a baseball lover, you know, I knew the zero to a hundred to zero time of a 427 Cobra, Right. you know, and that's where I was like, you know, totally dialed (laughs) in. Of course, my first car, I wanted a 427 Cobra or a 300 SL Gullwing or these things. And then you get real and you're making two something an hour. Right. And so it came down to the now getting to 1981. This isn't about me, by the way, no, Andrew. I like this. No, this is fun. <laughs> Let me tell you about me, Andrew. Yeah, I'm going to come over. I mean, it, it, comes, <laughs> it, it, it came down to, since we were talking about Pete Brock here as we started rolling, uh, this is where this is all get ties together, folks. Uh, as it came, became serious, as I was buying my first car, and I'm looking at 10-year-old road and tracks, I'm reading about the Trans Am Challenge, and I'm seeing uh, the lowly Datsun, 510 beating the BMW 2002 and the evil Alfa Romeo GTV. And of course, the Alfa was the first one I wanted, which was $4,500 in 1981. And then a 2002 was $3,000, $3,500 in 1981, a 10-year-old version. Right. And the 510 was $1,500 all day long. And there was a lot of them for six or $700. And so I bought a really nice 510 and the rest is history. I became a huge Pete, Pete Brock fan and a John Morton fan and grew up near Sears Point checking out, you know, the beginnings of vintage racing or the 80s version of vintage racing. And anyway, so that got me to call him about Mary McGee. I love that. That's so great. there you go. All the way full circle. So, um, hey, I'm in uh, Baja Broncos. Is this Baja Broncos? Yeah, is I that, are, is it the name of the business is Baja Broncos Unlimited, but you, I just call it Baja Broncos because that's I even shortened the name on the sign there. Well, Andrew Norton, hello, man. Hello. It's a delight to be in your garage in Santa Rosa, California at Baja Broncos talking about um, the history of the Bronco in Baja, the, the people who made that history, and your history. So that's, that's what I want to know all about. Cool. It's great to have you here. Well, all right. It's a beautiful day. It's uh, 70-something degrees. We're talking about mid-morning here. There's um, birds are chirping. People are working in the yard next door. So I just, you know, I really got, um, uh, what what do I want to say here? Um, I started thinking about getting you on the podcast when I read your piece on the Banquet Bronco in Dusty Times. And that's when I realized what a nerd in the most positive, thoughtful expression of that word is what a nerd you were about the history of Broncos and the early days of Baja racing. 
Yeah, I'm definitely a nerd. I call myself a nerd. I'm a Bronco nerd. Um, and the Banquet Bronco is uh, probably one of the coolest Broncos you could nerd out on even because of its history, um, both how it was built and who owned it. Um, so I really enjoyed writing that article for Dusty Times. I had a good time. Yeah, folks, um, if you like stuff, Baja off-road racing, the new reincarnation of Dusty Times is truly um, extraordinary. Um, Boy James, who's been on the show on Slow Baja, is really doing an amazing job. And I was just really, honestly, sincerely, um, don't want to be too flattering here too early in the show, but I was really touched about that. So I would love if you would read the opening quote. I've got the, yeah. the times in front of me. Um, I can definitely do that. Let me, it's right here, amigo. Huh. And then if you would just read that and then take it from, take it from there. Sure enough, yeah. Since having a Bronco was a solid help guaranteeing arrival in La Paz intact, the team focused on their own readiness. Aberze and Hanks planned to drive the course in tuxedos so they could go, to the, go at their pace and still appear in appropriate attire for the party. Yeah, brilliant thinking there. Um, so let's just start with that. Like, you know, I, I said to Mary, did you, did you, Mary McGee, I said, did you think of the first Baja race as a happening or a race? And she said it was a race, but in retrospect, it was definitely a happening. Like these guys took it on as a cultural happening. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and it's funny because they, uh, or Aberze, it was his truck, Banquet Bronco belonged to him. He went out and bought a fully loaded Bronco uh, about a month before the race and outfitted it. So on one hand, it appears he's super serious about it. Um, but on the other hand, he's like, this is kind of going to be a party that I can't miss down in La Paz. And that's exactly what I'm going to prepare for. So um, I just think that's that's probably the... I mean, that's kind of why I even started to get into Nora as well, is because it looked like a lot of fun. I mean, when I got into it, I started to to want to compete. The modern Nora is what I'm talking about. But um, I just love that these guys just saw the fun in it immediately. Yeah, so um, Vic and his co-driver, Irv Hanks, and I've, I've uh, connected with his, Irv's daughter now, who just got to make her th first Baja trip this this last year we were trying to get together for the um, the 1000 but she was she was in Baja the week before um, again comic relief I think is your your term <laughs> their term yeah uh, in tuxedos in this you know crazy brand new Bronco with all the signage and everything and y you tell a story you penned a story that's just amazing they're stopped there with their lights and, a, and was it a Manx driver pulled up and yeah a Manx driver pulled up and they were they had hopped out of the car to do a, a driver switch or check something on the vehicle and this Manx came barreling up in the dust and the, the co-driver threw out 35 cents or whatever and sped off and and Aberze kind of they're all tired it's it's coming close to the pause they're they're down to the last well for them the last 10 hours of the race but these guys took off and uh, they didn't figure it out until they got down to the, the banquet that, that that was not a toll booth guy. <laughs> that was Hanks and Aberze doing a driver switch. But it looked so official, you know, hey, I got to pay these guys in this official looking Ford Bronco that looked kind of like maybe a border patrol or not a border patrol, but a, a police truck at the Muy time. Muy oficial. Yeah. I love it. 
I love it. Well, how did you how did you track down these stories? Their so, story. Yeah, their story. Um, I knew what the banquet bronco was early on in my bronco research, but I want to say it was sometime in maybe oh uh, 2010 or so. The banquet bronco showed up on race desert for sale, and. I just couldn't believe that it was still out there and in there's two or three pictures of it but it was in one piece and I was like that's kind of amazing because finding any old race car or any and especially any desert race car after all this time that that you know was in the first Baja 1000 and raced for 10 years so usually they're pretty toast by then um, so I called up the seller and it's Abrizé's nephew selling the truck and I said well I'm a I want it all and he's like well there's two guys ahead of you and and I told him who I was, and I, you know, I've got a couple Strat Broncos, and I'm deep into this, and I know. And we started talking. I think we spent like an hour and a half to two hours on the phone on that first conversation. And um, in the end, he's like, "Hey, I, I'd, I'd really like this to go to you, but you need to beat these other offers." And I said, "I'll do it. I'll send the check tomorrow." And so that started our relationship, and I've been back on the back and forth on the phone with him quite a bit. Um, and that's where I got some of those stories. I also got some of the stories. I actually got them all from from um, Al, but I also, they're all corroborated in all these old magazines and the same story. And, and a couple of them he even confirmed happened twice, like happened more than once. Like the one where they freak out because it's Dia de los Muertos and they're like, yes, they're, yes. they look jump like right corpses, into this. you know, yeah. like they jump, hopped out of a grave. Just jump into that story. That is just truly, yeah. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Oh yeah, I know. Well, yeah, I think. The, well, the story that I I think it happened the very first race too. That first race for them, I think, just was. That's probably what got them hooked. But because of you know those two things happened, the toll booth, and then also, they blew out the front two tires. Um, in a gully, and and uh, it was a kind of a hard impact. And he had four point harnesses on stock Bronco seats, and it squeezed him pretty good, and it squished his green felt autograph pen in his pocket he didn't realize that but after they kind of the dust settled and they unbuckled he wiped his hands and his, he wiped his hands off because they were dirty onto his lapels and then and then onto his face and he's still i mean he's in a tuxedo he's in a tuxedo but his, his pen there had gotten squished and broke open so there's green ink everywhere and he just rubbed green ink all over his face he didn't know this because there's no you know he's it's nighttime so he walks into this cantina and asks for help and he's got a green face and tuxedo covered with dust and he's all haggard looking and and of course it's it's november and uh, they think and it's mexico yep and he's a spirit he's coming back he wants his favorite drink so you can't make this up no you can't that's that is i mean quintessential crazy this is what racing in mexico is all about that things like this happen yeah. Amazing. So they they managed to get down to La Paz and get some tires, as I recall, from this yeah, crew. Yeah, exactly. You were just telling me yeah. about that. Um, Strop had been leading the race and sanded his motor out somewhere short of the finish. Actually, I think by that time they'd towed to the finish line. But Abrizé uh, got a taxi ride, I believe, or something, rode down to, hitched a ride down to La Paz, found Strop because he knew that Strop would have wheels and tires and borrowed two wheels off of that Bronco that you're sitting in front of and uh, got them back up, put the banquet Bronco back together with these two borrowed wheels and made the finish line with the within the time limit. 
which is 60 hours. I thought it was 60 hours. I, I did research that before I, because I just knew it was before the time limit, but I think I read that it was 60 hours in one of those old magazines. Amazing. And they made the banquet. And, and they made the banquet. All dusty and green-faced. <laughs> so let's back up now and say, where did your fascination for Broncos and Baja come in? You were telling me about uh, Brock and Shelby and some of our shared childhood uh fascination and adoration of these racing heroes in an era that was directly preceded our childhoods? Yes. Um, well, I, I didn't grow up racing in Baja or off-roading or exploring or boondocking or any of that stuff. My, my family drove Volkswagens and for some reason I came out just in love with all things with wheels and especially cars and trucks. And, um, how I got to the Bronco, I mean, I think, I think originally I was into sports cars and Mustangs, especially because my aunt D had a Mustang. And so I got into Mustangs and I learned about Shelby's, uh, at about age seven or eight. And again, not from my folks, just from buying Hot Wheels, buying car magazines, my next door neighbor in Iowa, I lived in Iowa as a kid for a while and he used to give me car magazines. And I think that's where I got Baja, the Baja part came from was that Hot Rod used to cover those races. And whenever this guy was done with this, this is probably 79 or 80, he'd give these magazines to the kid next door who's five, six-year-old me. And I'd flip through there and I'd see the 55 Chevy, one of my favorite cars, driving in the Baja races. And I'm like, how is that even possible? Every 55 Chevy I see is lowered or restored. Anyway, it got me intrigued that there was this place called Baja that people race cars. But as a preteen and a teen, I was heavily into Shelby's. I just wanted one so bad, and I read everything I could. And there were all these neat books coming out about the why Shelby's existed, you know, because of the racing. And that relationship of racing and then selling a car that's a replica of what you race at the dealership that any ordinary Joe with some extra money could go buy. Uh, really appealed to me and and just a special car i liked special cars and um not being able to afford a shelby i would look for other fords that i could buy i had already gotten a mustang when i was 14 and so by the time i was 16 and driving it around with shelby suspension and shelby's autograph on the on the glove box um and dreaming about finding a lost daytona coupe i would drive around looking for other fords and i saw a bronco I knew what Broncos were, I liked them, but I saw a Bronco one day that was orange, white, and blue. And I stopped and looked at it and saw the decal on the fender that said Baja by Strop. And then I remembered I'd heard of this thing called a Baja Bronco. Never seen one, never seen a picture, never read a magazine article, never read about one in a book. But here's one right in front of me, and I can kind of tell with my Ford knowledge that this isn't something somebody made up. This is something that actually existed and was you could buy it new at the dealer. And so I said, I'm gonna go research that. And so at 16, I went straight to the library after seeing that car and I just typed That's the way we used to do it, kids. Yeah, yeah, I didn't pick up my phone. I, I literally, I was between, I was on the other side of the library from my house and I'm like, I'm going straight to the Cupertino library. I'm gonna get out the microfish or microfilm or whatever you call it. And I'm going to type in the word strop. And, oh, I had to look it up in the card catalog yeah, yeah. first. or exactly. Not the card catalog, but the big old the, book. Yeah. Anyway, and then look for the issue and then find the film with the issue. And, uh, God, I sound old. And uh, <laughs> It was the Dewey Decimal <laughs> System back in the day. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> I remember I found a couple articles early on, and I was just like, okay, yeah, this is a Baja Bronco, and they were made in '71 at least. And I put, I just put that photocopy in a folder, and I just anytime I you I had just, a dime for the photocopier I did. in the library, and yeah. that that smell of those fresh mm-hmm. library copies. It's not as good as the purple stuff that your no. third grade teacher put exactly on, the mic, but the micro close. whatever that was, yep. mimeograph. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Sorry, man. Yeah. So um, you, you're at the library and you're learning about Strop and you're living in the Bay Area now. You're in correct. You're in South Bay. Yep. Cupertino. Yep. And uh, that one Baja Bronco was parked on East Estates Drive in Cupertino. And I used to drive by it all the time. And I don't know why I didn't knock on the door. I guess I was just it was nice. And I was just afraid the guy was going to be a jerk. But um, about some kid crawling under his truck, you know, um, but I took pictures of it and logged it and talked a friend into buying another Bronco that we another Baja Bronco that we found up in Reno in about 95 and since then I just I ended up buying mine in January of 96 and I just from then on I just there's still not many articles or anything written about Strat Bronco so everything I learned would be from buying one taking notes on it learning about it and then selling it to somebody else and finding when I found the next I would never let go of one until I got another one in so I always pretty much perpetually had two and sometimes three to four throughout my 20s and early 30s and still obviously so I, I gave Willie a call Willie Strop a call on the on the drive up today to uh, connect with him and, and hear a little bit about his family his dad his life Baja the Broncos the whole thing I didn't ask him if there was a central archive for his father did he keep meticulous notes no. i mean no so he built a hundred something of maybe a hundred ish of these things a the year for five years yeah the production bajas there's roughly 500 if you include the individual ordered ones yeah and they they said they had records for a while and i believe that's true because at one point in my research i contacted them and i was sent an invoice this woman said here's an example invoice of of one of the trucks and it was a Ford invoice not like something not like a window sticker but it had the information of a window sticker so they had information for a while but I think they probably pitched it it's keeping stuff you know people are different about that some people like to have stuff laying around other people don't well this is what I'm getting to now so you're a guy who has seen enough of these that you have your own memory image bank of what they have look like should look like this one is different than the one i saw before all that but there's not a central database where you know these things get um corroborated uh so how does one i mean there must be a few knockoffs by now but so how does one go about authenticating strop baja broncos uh, ask you, hire ask Willie. Me, hire me to come look at it, yeah. Okay. Like, if there's nothing on it, a lot of the cars that are out there, let's see, I've owned I've owned close to 60 of the 163 that are on my registry at BajaBronco.com. Um, and then there's about 10, 10 that aren't on the registry because the owners don't want them on there, and I respect that. That's fine. But I have the information on those trucks. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the ones out there, I've probably put my hands on close to, I would say close to two thirds of them, you know, and I've owned 60 of those. So it's just, I think the best way is if you've got something that you're questioning or that you want 
you know, hey, is, is this restored one, how much of it's original, is to have me go look at it. Well, tell me about Bill Strop. Bill Strop. I mean, in my mind, Bill Strop begins at, in 1950 in the La Carrera yeah. Panamericana in Mexico because of my own fascination with that event. But, you know, I, I assume he was <laughs> born long before that, served in World War II and Correct. did something before going to Mexico and having his life changed dramatically by convincing Ford and Lincoln to start racing cars there. But tell me about Bill Strop. Um, he was uh, similarly uh, intrigued with automobiles, uh, as I was, and um, he built this. He, I think, he worked as a as a kid uh, helping a a local guy with a junkyard, and basically built his own car at like the age of eight or nine, and um, always always into automotive stuff. And uh, met Clay Smith of Clay Smith Cam fame grew up with him in school and in, in in college and those two hot rodders were like best friends and in the socal hot rod scene were building the best engines and they were the guys for actually for boat races they did a lot of boat races i think that's where they got recognized by ford and ford motor company invited them to michigan and basically that's where the relationship began as they showed the engineers at Ford how to make the six-cylinder engine uh, actually perform and not burn up. That was had to do with oil passages and such like that. Uh, I think they cross-drilled the crank or something like that and fixed this engine that Ford's like, oh, are we going to dump this thing or are we going to keep going with it? And at that point, they were like, Clay, Bill, you guys are our, our go-to guys. And Hot rodder showing the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and from then on, they... Mercury and Lincoln had them do preps on all their cars for the endurance runs and the reliability challenges. And then, of course, that led up into the racing yeah. in, in Mexico. The La Carrera was a crazy, crazy yeah. uh, endeavor. And I and my take on it is uh, Strop not only prepared the cars, but prepared the teams, prepared the approach, prepared the entire um, effort. Exactly. Every bit of it. And that's... That's where he really came into, you know, he was famous for that, being prepared, having a great pit strategy. He won a, an award in the, in the, the Navy for or his um, refueling system. It's just it's thinking, thinking outside the box in terms of logistics of pits and all that is really, it was a huge forte for him. And I think that's why, you know, they were one of the first teams in Baja to have like a whole slew of cars come down there and two transporters and a couple of uh, single and double transporters. They had like a bunch of cars running by the early 70s, 73, I think they had. I forget what the number is, but it's something in the 27 cars in a race or something. Which, which is exactly sort of the approach that he took, you know, years earlier going 1950 was when it got started. So that would be like 67. It was just trying to get through it. But by 54, they had an Armada. Yep. And he was down there you know, pre-running, obviously, and digging um, pits into yeah, the dirt. Exactly. <laughs> so, I know, love that. And trailered all their food down. And, you know, they, they could only drink, you know, stuff that came out of bottles and whatnot because right, of the, their own just cook the, and everything. Yeah, just the demands of, of being in Mexico in those days. Yeah. So an amazing, an amazing approach. And the, the other thing about that's kind of goes through without with all of his cars that he's touched, 
throughout was that they were just really good-looking cars, like signage on them, wheels on them. People, people used to give him trouble, I think, about making stuff look too pretty, but the fact that he did both, had these great pit strategies, usually some very, very, very good drivers, and the cars looked beautiful. I know that's one thing that in an early interview that I read about Pete Brock, as he said, he said, oh, and Strop's cars, he said, my influences, one of my big influences was Strop as far as the way cars looked because his race cars were always top-notch looking, just immaculate looking. And I think that's rare when you have both sides of it. You know, you've got the performance and you've got the good looks and yeah. Yeah, and you know, Pete being, Peter Brock now being a guy who, you know, as a kid, 19 years old, got hired by GM, does some sketches and it becomes a 63 Corvette. <laughs> right. You know, like 19-year-old kids aren't, you know, aren't even able to get a job, let alone be, get a job in the styling department at GM these days. And, you know, pen a lot of the Shelby liveries, logos, what have you, a guy who knows what he's talking about. So it's very interesting that, that Strop was an influence on him. Yeah. Hmm. Amazing how our, my worlds collide here in Slobaugh. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> well, so Bill Strop gets to, um, uh, Baja for this amazing first event. And tell me how that goes. Um, they prepped two Broncos, and uh, Strop and Ray Harvick were in one. And I'm blanking on who was in the second car. I want to say Dick Russell and I can't remember Cliff Bryan, maybe. Anyway, um, they had pretty well prepped cars by like because Strop had already taken the Bronco around for Ford to the short course rallies in in uh, Colorado and Pismo and Riverside. So he already kind of had a few things worked out on the Bronco. Um, and so they brought the two Broncos, one a six-cylinder and one a V8, I think, had already converted to V8. And uh, they did really well. They, um, From what I understand, they were leading the race pretty soon on. Uh, with Ray Harvick driving, and like a lot of people, they got lost um, kind of down past San Ignacio, I think, and they got to a section where they were supposed to go out to the beach and just look like you're driving, and it's just you couldn't get through, and so they turned around, and Larry Miner and Rod Hall were there in a Jeep, and they were stuck, and they helped them get unstuck, and when they took off, they took off the way that Strop and Harvick had already decided was the wrong way. Well, they disappeared into these bushes. Like, they just went into the bushes and vanished. And Strop and Harvick are like, wait a sec, maybe that is the right way. So they turned back around through this really sandy stuff and were coming after uh, Larry and Rod in the Jeep. And the motor sanded out because they'd spent so much time getting stuck themselves, getting Rod and Larry unstuck. And then they just ended up completely sanded out. They did roll it before that, too, I think. And um, I think the air cleaner had come apart and sand got into the motor. But they didn't quite, they knew they were onto something, but they didn't, they didn't win. They DNF'd. Well, I think that that first race was full survival. I mean, it was just making it, making it the course distance. And then speed got to be a part of it very very quickly thereafter right. i mean i think 68 people were like let's make this thing go faster and figure out a, how to make it more durable and what have you and again in my conversation with uh, malcolm smith on the on slow baja you know he was using a library book 
to figure out the uh, you know the the Gullick um, Gullick and Goods I'm blank on the name David Keir is going to be calling to correct me um, <laughs> the basically came out in the 40s and it had a full map of of Baja but it's you know an 8 by 10 inch book and he's memorizing the thing and memorizing his his points on the map by studying a book and gave it to RN his racing partner to, to study and of course he didn't study it the way right. that that Malcolm did and to think about that in those days you know to think about the amount of information that we have today on our phones on our dashboards you know GPS satellite pictures of everything and a great paper map which is sitting here next to me the Baja Almanac from Benchmark with you know you've got every dirt road right I mean they were just driving and dead reckoning I think yeah exactly remembering a library book let me remember that library book while I'm <laughs> on my motorcycle going this fast yeah we're going to take a break right here folks uh, while we have a visual of Malcolm Smith with a payday candy bar in his pocket and an orange or something remembering that library book navigating down Mexico to the first win in 1967 and we'll be right back with Andrew Norton talking Broncos and Baja Here at Slow Baja, we can't wait to drive our old Land Cruiser south of the border. When we go, we'll be going with Baja Bound Insurance. Their website's fast and easy to use. Check them out at BajaBound.com. That's BajaBound.com, serving Mexico travelers since 1994. Hey, we're back. We're in Santa Rosa, California at Baja Broncos, and I am getting the history of Broncos and Baja, and we're going to get on to uh, Andrew's affliction with the Baja Peninsula himself. So let's let's jump into that. You're you're buying these Broncos up. When you started in 1995, is that when you? Do I have that date yeah, right? 95. I think I got my first Bronco, and yeah, I basically it was December 95. I agreed to buy it, and then my friend and I flew out to Texas and drove this worn out Baja Bronco back to Santa Barbara, where I was living at the time. And are you finding them in 95, you're finding them in magazines at that point, or where, classified ads, where where are you finding these cars? Word of mouth? Yeah, Auto Trader uh, oh, yeah. magazine, yes. and then this one was in Hemmings Motor News, three lines. Sure. And the guy knew what he was saying in the line, said, a real Baja Bronco by Strop, and I was like, oh, well, if he knows that much, I got to talk to him. I, I called him and made an agreement to go buy it. That I think that was one of the utter fascinations that I had as a youngster reading the classified section of road and track and reading the classifieds from 20 years before when this thing and that thing were the same price. And then this thing is worth 10 times what that thing is worth. Yep. Yep. I remember looking through those ads too and seeing Cobras for, I'd go to the swap meets and buy old road and track or whatever. And in when I was in junior high and I remember looking through there and like seeing ads for competition Cobras. And I was like, man, I, I have almost that much into my Mustang. How is that possible? Yeah. How was I born so late? Right. That was what it was. So you you check out that first one. You're buying them. And then 1995 forward, when when do you start heading down to Baja? Or had you been to Baja already by this, this I had point? not. Um, I was still, I still thought Baja was the coolest thing. Obviously, when you devote a lot of your spare time to a truck that's named after Baja, uh, obviously, you're dreaming about it. But... Um, I got involved with some of the Bronco internet mailing lists because the internet was now popping. And uh, I met Todd Zerker at that point. And he had 
<clears throat> realized that I was heavy into the production Baja Bronco, and he grew up reading magazines and knowing all about the races, uh, and he was kind of into the competition ones, and so we compared notes and shared notes on that stuff in the late 90s, and also about that time, I think I started BajaBronco.com, the registry, and just an information page for people to come and like, hey, I've got this orange, white, and blue Bronco. I don't know anything about it. Oh, let me type it into the internet. Oh, here's BajaBronco.com. So the, the internet in those days, kids, was uh, 24-hour yellow pages. Yeah. You know, it was just information. This is, this, is, this is where you would go. It was like an encyclopedia on a computer. So you were creating, or a Wikipedia that maybe would be the appropriate, because not everything was fact-checked or correct, yeah. but you were creating I tried to put out a fact. repository of information. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, that's what it was. And that's what a lot of my, a lot of the early Bronco sites at the time, even if they weren't related to Baja Broncos, they were putting out how to put disc brakes on your Bronco. And they just have, it was all information instead of like, look at what I've got and look at what I can do. It was... It was, uh, hey, let's share information. But anyway, Todd and I started sharing information about the race Broncos. And also, at the same time, uh, Todd Clement of Wide Open Baja called me because he had purchased a Baja Bronco, a production Baja Bronco. And he grew up driving a racing Bronco. And he's like, who's this guy with this website? So he called me up one time and said... I've got one of these Baja Broncos. What do you know about it? And I started, we just started comparing notes and I had already done all this research on where the steering wheels were made and all the pieces were made. And he said, God, you're, you're like a, you're like an encyclopedia for Baja Broncos and you're really into the details. I like details. Uh, I need somebody who's really detailed to come help me with this Baja effort. We're, we're doing the Baja 2000. Do you know what that is? And I said, no. And he's like the Baja 1000, except because of the year 2000, it's going to be twice as long. And I said, that's fantastic. He's like, why don't you come down and help me? I said, perfect. I'll be there in November. And he's like, no, why don't you come down early? I want you to be in charge of the logistics of fuel for the whole chase team and all this stuff. And I'm like, I didn't know. I'd never been to Baja yet. I mean, the new Bill Strop. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I went down and worked for wide open Baja for the Baja 2000. And that was Todd Clement introduced me to Baja and, taught me how to drive down there and what to do here, there, and the other, and just into racing and logistics and where's the fuel going to be? How's this all going to work? And, um, that's how I, I, I think I, I, I worked for him for the 2000 and then I think the 2001 and maybe a little bit for 2002, I, I went down there. Um, but yeah, I was hooked at that point and I really wanted a Strop racing Bronco and I knew where two of them were. And so I made that. My mission was to find an original Strop Racing Bronco that we could race. And it took a few years to get those, to get that one. It was actually one that Todd Zerker had found in Arizona. This guy was using it as a sand toy. It had paddles on it. It was bright red with uh, the gold roll bar, two gold. And uh, Todd and I bought it together, I think, in 06. And it turned out through a bunch of research that it was actually the truck that Rod Hall drove the most. And it's the one that he and Larry Miner won the 69 Mexican 1000 overall with. Well, 2006, these things are starting to become worth some money. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. You're not, you're not finding these things for 
500 or $5,000 anymore. No, I think I paid 6,500 for my first Baja Bronco. And then we paid considerably more for the race truck because the guy knew what it was. He's like, yeah, strap racing Bronco. Cause he had pictures of it before he even painted it red and turned it into his toy. And it still had the orange, white and blue paint all over it. And before he ruined it. Yeah. Well, he didn't. That's the nice thing about it is he really just painted it a different color and put a different motor in it <laughs> and okay. paddle tires. So that, that, so that's, that's a uh, minimal, minimal, uh, damage yeah i mean all reversible yep and a lot of it got reversed in 2010 we loaned it to chris wilson and glenn straight to race in the the resurgence of nora so that's that's the leap that i was going to make so you're yeah. buying these things before there was any place for you to actually use them yeah i mean you were exactly you weren't going to go use them in score or you were going to do it in a very different way yeah, I definitely wasn't. We were going to maybe go play with it. And we also, back to how you introduced me, I'm a Bronco nerd. And and also back the to the kindest sh- sense of the word. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm using it for myself. So um, I'd seen what people had done with our model Shelby's. And, you know, you can restore a race car or race trim and not race it or take it to one of these events and just, you know, go at 80% or 60% if you want to. And that was what I wanted to do. I knew it wasn't going to be at score because I'd already been to that race. But I thought maybe something would happen. And sure enough, it all happened quickly after we bought that thing. We, we bought it and did a little work to it. And then soon was when Chris came knocking at our door and said, hey, do you know anyone with a historic race Bronco? And we were like, Shh, yeah, us. <laughs> and, so coming full circle here, yeah. I'm, I'm working on this move, this big move. Um, from San Francisco to Chicago, and I've been in, just buried in my garage going through this stuff that's been packed away. I've lived in this house for 25 years, mm. so it's just stuff that's packed away and whatnot. And raised three kids who have flown the coop, gone to school, and you know moved away. And their important stuff is still in bins all over the garage. The Land Cruiser is in one part. It's kind of a two and a half car garage in a Z shape, kind of a long, skinny San Francisco garage. And I was going through a box of papers, and I found my original press release press release for the 2010 nora that i was going to race in my 1967 datsun um fair lady roadster oh nice <laughs> that i had raced the la carrera with and so i was reading it, it I, I was avenging my last place finish in the la carrera panamericana and tying it all the way up to the current show on on slow baja right now folks i called peter brock and, you know, I found him in, in Nevada, and I called him to say, is there any way that I can convert my my Datsun Roadster to off-road spec? And, you know, of course, he campaigned these cars new and, and won championships with them in SCCA. And he said, absolutely not. There's no, there is no way that you can do that. And I'm I'm very sorry that I listened to him, honestly, because I think had I just done something foolish, totally foolish, just put a little suspension lift on it and some off-road, you know, BF Goodrich tires. I would have been that guy, who, you know, who like got stuck 300 miles down and had to, you know, catch a bus home and it took me a week and the car could have just been sitting in the back of Rancho Santa Ynez right. for, for the next 20-something years until Lyman sure, you know, finds it and, you know, and, and, and rescues it. Exactly. You but could have it could have been, that. it could have had an amazing, I could have had an amazing adventure had I not been so cautious. And so broke also because I was trying to raise money to do this. Right. Yeah, that was a good event. And it was fun to it was it was fun to be there that because I we went as crew 
for Chris and Glenn. And it was just great to be walking around the parking lot and talking to these people, other other desert racing aficionados and vintage desert racing aficionados that I had, you know, heard of and hadn't met yet. And it was just standing around with um, Parnelli Jones and Rod Hall in a motel parking lot looking at these old cars that they drove. Um, and Parnelli was there with his blazer, his uh, his street, his pre-run blazer, his yellow blazer. And um, Rory Ward was there, and we were all just standing around talking about the stuff that we've been geeking out on the internet for years on. It was just really, really fun. And I think that just pushed us to, I think somebody said, why don't next year, why don't you guys just use the Bronco? Why don't you use the Bronco? I think it was Rory. He said, why don't you guys just race that thing? And we were like, okay. And so I think we took a year off in between because uh, we had just had my daughter. Um, and so I took a, a break there. And um, yeah, the next year we got the Bronco ready. to. It was pretty much ready already. And Todd and I drove it uh, with a bunch of our friends and finished. It was fun. And have you been chasing that? Is this like a drug habit? You've been chasing that high ever since? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's, I still think about that first uh, event that I did with my buddy Ted in, in Baja in my Land Cruiser, 3,000 miles in 10 days. And I, I'm really still just chasing that. Yeah. Yeah. So much. It's so much fun when you get down there. And I mean, just like you said, anything can happen down there. And having the adventure is, is part of it. Um, but I just really love to personally prep or restore something and then know that I'm probably going to have to fix a couple things on the way down there. But also, I just know that I'm going to finish. I just know I'm going to finish. I flat towed my race truck down there. And people look at us and kind of shake their heads because they're like, man, you can really break down here. Don't you know that? And I'm like, yeah, but, but how am I going to know if my bearings are set up right if I don't flat tow it the 500 miles first and go feel the hubs every, you know, how am I going to know everything's right? Anyway. That is just, part of my shakedown. Yeah. I, I drive my Land Cruiser from San Francisco to San Diego in one long 12 to 14 hour day down yeah. Highway 101. Oh, pick up nice. my buddy and we cross the border the next day. And it's like, you know, I'm probably have done some shakedown stuff up here. And, you know, so I have a, I have a good feeling that if I go slow and don't smash it into something, I'm definitely going to finish. Right. Right. I try and go between slow and fast somewhere. In well, there. you're, you're racing and I'm doing something right. else totally different. Yeah. Well, let's get into that. How, how, what is it like? How do you describe what you do and what it's like to be in a vintage racing Bronco in Nora driving on the same, same dirt, just different era. What, what is that like? Um, it's awesome. I like it because it's like all these old pictures that I looked at in magazines are coming to life and, and I'm in the picture and I'm having a blast. And I love the idea that like, especially, um, I don't know. It was really cool to be out there with big Ole last year. But then even in previous years too, just creating this, this, uh, I don't know. It's like going back in time for people to see us in an old orange, white, and blue Bronco and a golden white Bronco zip by, you know, it's just like, it could be 1972. You no, know? I, absolutely. I mean, I, I say it, it's my land cruisers, a portal to another era and it's just, you know, it's flipping a filter. Yeah. And I'm, I've got one of those GFU masters that I'm looking through instead of the windshield, you know, and I'm just click, <laughs> clicking to another scene from, you know, another era. Yep. 
and it's a different everything's in a different color and i'm i'm like the pictures in the dusty times that uh for illustrating your story that beautiful coat of color yeah um codomatic uh, uh instamatic film from i mean my childhood i'm a little bit older than you are that is my childhood seeing those pictures you know early 70s that that's what those that's what my life looked like I had a little border on the pictures with the date stamp and all that and that's that to me when i'm looking out of the windshield of my old truck i'm in that and what was so exciting this year with the slow baja safari is having an, a manx in front of me or having one of your broncos you know right there and hearing that v8 rumble i mean that really not i'm not saying anything about the raptors and the the jeeps and the g-wagons and all that which was phenomenal and the people who brought them are were wonderful folks but visually being a visually oriented person seeing your truck and seeing big Ole and like saying like this is really happening is this really happening? Did that? Did Big Ole just take the green flag right, right there? Did that just happen? Yeah, I think I made the remark to my wife. She, uh, this is the first year that she's ridden in the car with me, but she's been super supportive of this whole fascination. Like, like you know, when I, when she met me, I didn't have a race truck, <laughs> so um, you know, things things changed there. But she's been super supportive, and I'm so glad to have had her in the car because. I just felt like she's a great co-driver, awesome, awesome navigator. And we're pulling out of Ensenada and in my, in our rear view mirror, I can't remember where Oli started, but it was a few cars behind us. It wasn't, we weren't close at the start line, but we pull up and I said to my wife, I said, oh my God, we could break down right now and I'd be, I'd be fine because big Oli's in my rear view. I feel like Parnelli's in my rear view and we're leaving Ensenada here, getting ready to go out to the dirt and we're cruising through Ensenada, the Colts drop Bronco followed by big Ole. And it was just, it was, it was surreal and awesome. And it was just like, at that point, everything else was just gravy. And it was awesome because, you know, we went the whole distance with the, you know, we made it. So there was some gravy. There was a lot of gravy. Yeah. It was great. The end of that first stage though, after we had had a good we stopped a couple times but the battery sparked out and almost set her on fire uh as soon as we got onto the dirt because i started to go faster than i should have been going and the battery jumped out of the hold down which was pretty weak i should have changed that uh and then we lost our power steering because uh, i didn't tighten a clamp and uh but yeah there was we had enough adventure to to make it to just give us a little bit of butterfly but then the rest of it was was fantastic and fun well, that, that, um, leading up to the, the event, I was in Baja for five days before my truck was in storage there from a trip that I had taken a couple months prior and the shop that it was in storage in was also doing some, some prep work. So we had the list and, you know, I thought I better get down there and babysit the last five days to make sure the list is actually getting done. And one of the things was, you know, in my Land Cruiser, since I've owned it, it's just smelled like gas. And they all smell like gas, you know, whatever. They smell like gas. But last year I had had a, a leak in the fuel tank and turned out it was just a, a hose line that had been looped through um, a primitive charcoal canister, which was in the seat upholstery, in the, in the bench seat, in the back of the seat. That charcoal canister had been removed, so it's early smog. Got it. So okay. the vapors are going into a char charcoal canister, which is in the middle part of the bench seat in between the, the driver and the passenger. So when I bought the thing 10 years ago, I had that removed and the line just got looped back into the tank, but never got clamped and freak accident in getting onto the 500 last year. 
Ted's, you know, we're putting stuff behind the seat. Ted's folding the seat back and the seat just stops. And he, instead of, you know, pulling the handle and adjusting it and pulling it forward and being very gentle with a 50 year old vehicle, he just gives it a little heft and just snaps this pin off. And all of a sudden the back of his seat is not connected to the bottom of his seat. And we're literally on our way to Baja to to start the 500 (laughs) last year. So he's, you know, basically putting more stuff behind a seat to have some sort of, um, you know, have some sort of mass to hold the seat in place. And as it turned out that that action ripped this fuel line off of its mooring, which we didn't realize at the time. But when you filled the fuel tank completely, only completely, it would splash fuel under my seat. So we just were trying to figure out where's this fuel coming from, what have you. Anyways, it was it was a cluster F, as yeah. they say. And so this year, I wanted to make sure that we had that all sorted. We had it fixed last year. Mag 7 did a great job. Tom Mangione fixed it last year on the side of the road. Fabulous repair. This year, I just wanted to make sure, because I was still smelling a little gas. Yeah. So I just wanted to make sure it's fixed. Night before the the race, the mechanic is making a gasket for the top of my fuel tank for the where the fuel pump is so, yep. son of a gun you know like okay well he, he thinks it's leaking there first gasket doesn't work so now he's got to go get some cork and make another gasket now again if i were in california i'd get to my land cruiser repair guy and for five bucks i'd get the proper gasket whatever so anyways he's making this thing and it does take a, a day-ish thing for him to make with all the distractions of running his shop and all the other business Anyway, so it's like that night after the driver's meeting, I'm in the parking lot and I just see, I've just filled up and I just see gas oozing over the top of my gas tank. So I'm talking to Kurt LaDuke about it. He says, yeah, ivory soap, I hear if you just rub it with a bar of ivory soap or maybe chewing gum, if you just pack that seal with some chewing gum. I'm like, I've got a pack of of, of, uh, Wrigley's in the car. So there I am chewing up a pack of uh, spearmint and packing this this gasket (laughs) with freshly chewed gum, which stopped it. But by the time we got to San Felipe at the end of the first day, the next day, the end of the next day, we filled up with gas and all of a sudden there's gas on dripping out from underneath the car and it's not coming. My fix worked. My chewing gum fix. Chewing gum worked. Chewing gum folks. I don't know about other brands, but good old fashioned sugary Wrigley's. Yeah. (laughs) Spearmint. Uh, worked so there was a gas leak and so there we are at 6 30 on a sunday night in san felipe asking cesar if he had a friend who knew a race shop or something that could could look after us and he sent us to a guy chavo and chavo's great you know and he jumped right on it ripped the seats out ripped the center console out got the fuel tank out and fixed it within two hours you know and then we were back in the event and to have that little bit of spice that little bit of drama Right. It does like, you know, I just want the rest of the, the trip to go very smoothly, but it really does kind of like make you feel like you did something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do have a footnote about the gum though. Um, I had one, it, I will say it probably works well on gaskets and stuff like that for sending units, but we did try it on a Holly blue electric fuel pump, um, pre-regulator and it, it won't, it just doesn't hold. Didn't hold, huh? It doesn't hold the high, pre, you know, the, I don't know how many pounds of pressure those are supposed to put out. I think it's like 20 or 30 or something. Chew more gum. It doesn't. Come on, Todd. Yeah, no. And we only gum. had a limited amount of gum with us. Mm. Um, so we had to go with fuel flowing everywhere. I wonder about bubble yum. Bubble yum. 
or big league big, i think big, big league, league chew. chew big league chew if you can still get it Do you chew it first all right well listen um we're going to get on to some serious uh wrapping it up here and lightning round stuff but from your first trip when you went down with wide open to do the logistics in 2000 you've got 20 something years of, of baja travel now under your belt why do you go what do you what do you what do you love about baja is it only for driving events or do you would you go there or have you gone there on vacations um, I, I would go there as much as I can. I love it down there. I like the people down there. I like, um, I like the food down there. And, um, the first time I actually, it's, it's crazy. Usually I go down there with a race effort, but my wife and I went down in February and stayed at, we stayed at one of the resorts actually, but because we always stay in small hotels and little places that we found from the racing, but we were down in, in Cabo and we stayed at this and we found ourselves just, we rented a car and just, we didn't spend hardly any time at the resort. We just ended up exploring on our own and, uh, found a couple of nice hikes and found some great food places that we hadn't had time to explore during the race. So that's what I really like doing down there is just going down there to explore. And then, and the other time we went down there, not for a race was, with my daughter and my wife to pick up the Colt Bronco. And uh, we did a quick little, you know, just more exploring San Felipe area. And uh, yeah, I just, it's the people, the food, and just the feeling of being, everything being more relaxed there, for me anyway. You know, it might be different for other people down there, but it's, for me, I like going there to kind of unwind and see new things and yeah. And how do you describe um, most of the news regarding travel or the internet uh noise is about you know crime and trouble and problems and whatnot and how do you how do you distill it down to say like immediately i'm in full agreement with you on all all fronts so like how do you distill this to what do you, how do you describe the people um usually the people that tell me how dangerous it is down there haven't been there um <laughs> Uh, and so I try to, I don't know, I guess I just respond to that in that, you know, I don't, uh, I, I just don't, I haven't, I haven't had any bad experiences down there. I know that people have, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know what really to say to people who believe that it's, it's, it's as dangerous as they make it sound. And maybe it is, and I'm just lucky, but like I go there every year and I have for the last four and 10 or 12 years every year and before that you know there's only a i go down there a lot and I, I never feel that i never feel that way but i also don't don't do silly things down there like like i don't know i don't i don't put myself out there really late at night or anything either too you know and i always hang out with my friends so i don't know what uh what sort of car prep and travel advice do you have on on that front as a guy who builds vehicles to go bouncing through the desert in a race what, what would you say to somebody who's just going to baja you know and is worried about what do i need to do how do i need to prepare my vehicle to, to survive in baja even if they're just driving on the pavement yeah uh I, I would say make sure you have a good spare tire make sure your tires are are good um i like to go down there in vehicles that are not brand new and covered with computer stuff all over them like computer controlled fuel injection all that jazz i have a 1999 f-250 super duty 7.3 diesel 
um, it's pretty simple to work on if something happens. Plus, a lot of people down in Baja have those vehicles. And so if you need a part, you're probably going to find it. Um, and also just know your vehicle. Know how to work on it a little bit is good. Bring fuses. Bring all the. Open your owner's manual. Look at what fuses your car takes. Go to the auto parts store before you leave and buy all those fuses. Have them in your glove box. Uh, bring some tools with you. I know that's what I do because I'm a, I'm a mechanic, but I think it, I mean, the times I've broken down down there, either somebody has an idea or a friend or the people down there are always willing to help you figure out how to fix your car. Yeah. Well, but, from Chavo fixing my fuel tank right. to a week later having Luis, uh, I was driving North after the event was over and I just thought, you know, my, I'd been, had a leak ongoing leak and I thought it was from uh, rear main seal, but it turns out it was transfer case. And, um, so I'm checking my engine oil saying, well, it's, it's fine. It's not yeah. leaking. And, um, anyways, so the transfer case started making some noise and again, Sunday night driving North pulled into uh, Viscaino and ended up in a tire shop. And the guy's like, Hmm, I, no, I don't really, can't really help you. And there's a tire shop in every town, but he got a slow Baja shirt and out flips his phone and he calls his buddy Luis and Luis comes over. And again, he's in his Sunday best. He's probably out to dinner with his, with his wife. And he knows what the problem is, but he doesn't want to tackle it because he's in his Sunday dress clothes and he's got a shop down the street and I can take the truck over there on Monday. We're like, oh, we're trying to get up the road. And I size him up. I'm like, that guy's my size. And so from underneath my seat, I pulled out a, a freshly laundered still in plastic um, pair of coveralls in case I had to get under the truck which I just just had uh, laundered in Ensenada before the race because there's a little musty smell because it had been under the seat of my car for a year. <laughs> so fresh in the plastic, I pull it out. It's got racing patches all over it, whatever. He jumps right into the thing, gets right under there. He's like, yeah, there's the problem. Okay, meet me in my shop and jumps down into the pit and we get off to uh, auto AutoZone or whatever the, the local auto parts store. Got a, got all the fluids we needed and he had, the, had it all uh, refilled with fluid and had figured out where the leak had come from and tightened up the bolts were normal. I guess what had happened is I'd probably taken a pretty good knock with the, with a rock and was just leaking out of the top of the, the transfer case there. And so anyways, a guy, again, you know, Sunday night eager to fix it. He was, he got to keep the coveralls. He was pretty yeah. stoked about that. Obviously you got, I paid him and you know, we were back on, on the road. So basically it's just like things around here, right? Like and your I mechanic a, gets on it right away, and it's done fast, and it's done well. <laughs> Sunday night at so 6.30. So, yeah, just like up here. Yeah, and, you know, the funny thing is, just like up here, now I have a friend there that yeah. I can call for anything. He yeah. actually, you know, messaged me on WhatsApp the next day to see how I was doing. Ah, that's great. Yeah, so that's been my experience down there with, with having an automotive issue that you can't fix yourself, is that you'll, you'll find somebody that can help you. Yeah, well, I can't there. fix anything, so it's, uh -huh. I'm at the mercy <laughs> of the locals. Well, at least you brought coveralls for them to wear. I mean, it's exactly. perfect. Exactly. Maybe I have to have three sets now. Yeah. Big guy, small yeah. guy, medium guy. <laughs> that's thinking ahead. That's, that's, that's a good prep item. That Good tires and three sets of coveralls. Three sizes. <laughs> yeah. Andrew, um, do you want people to, uh, to uh, use up your valuable time contacting you about things like Baja Broncos and, and whatnot? Where, where would people find you on social media and what have you? On social media... Um, I pretty much do only Instagram right now, and it's at Baja Broncos. Okay. And uh, I also have my website, BajaBronco.com. If people really needed to talk to me right away, my phone number's up there, and they can give me a call. I'd love to talk about Baja Broncos, old race cars, 
especially old Broncos and Blazers and that sort of thing. Cool old stuff. Cool old stuff. And when do you think you're heading down again? Uh, I'm going to try and go to the 1,000 next year. Okay. Um, I'd love to go to the 500, but I just think I've got a lot of... I have too much on my plate right now. I have two trucks in the body shop that need my attention, and then they need to be reassembled after my attention is applied to the people painting them. And before I... Uh, let you go for the day here. Um, first day of school for your daughter, yeah? Correct. Yeah, she got. we got a time clock ticking here, folks. Got to get done before school's out. Um, what advice would you have? Now, you took a historic uh, race truck in the Slow Baja Safari class, which I thought was super cool. What advice would you have if somebody's listening to this show thinking, I want to do the Slow Baja Safari Um I don't know if I told you this while while we were in Baja together, but you actually had a lot more knowledge about the event and about what was happening than I had <laughs> as the quasi you know name on the door guy, because I didn't have access to the the racing schedules, which you you had folks who were actually doing K Singer doing the um, the racing. Judy Smith runs uh, it's her, that's her truck, right? No, not Judy Smith. Sorry, Susan Kasinger. Susan Kasinger, sorry. Yeah. Judy Smith is the uh, the famed uh, yes. r- racer and journalist, hall, uh, off-road Hall of Famer, um, Aunt Sue. Aunt Sue. Aunt Sue, who is friends with my, my friends, uh, <laughs> That's uh, right. Wilson and his wife from the Baja XL. Um, so Aunt Sue is Heather, Wilson's wife, Heather's Aunt Sue. So I got some Aunt Sue stories on my last Baja trip nice. on the Baja XL. So you, you had some access to... The actual racing schedule you un, you could ascertain because of your experience with racing that event and now in the slow baja class what was likely to happen mm-hmm. given when the racing class was departing after the class and you wisely pulled off and and let a lot of stuff go by before you followed along where i unwisely thought i think i can beat these guys out of this stage <laughs> Yeah. So what advice would you have if somebody's just sitting there, they've got a Jeep, they've, they, they've got something old, they've got a, you know, maybe a historic vehicle. What advice would you have about, and I'm meaning this quite honestly and sincerely, about how to attack this new class, this new class, the new slow Baja safari class? Um, I see it as a good way for people to see if they want to get into doing the Nora 1000 in Pioneer or whatever other class you might want to do. Um, I came the other way. I'd done Pioneer. I've done Pioneer since 2012 and actually competing. And the Slow Baja is just a nice way. I think it's a good way to shake down a car. Um, I definitely would change several things about the Colt Bronco if I were to race it in the Pioneer class. but you could you could treat it that way. That's one piece of advice. Is like if you're thinking about doing Nora and Pioneer, I would do Slow Baja Safari in pretty much any vehicle, but ideally in the vehicle that you plan on taking, because you're going to learn so much, and you're not going to have, you know, a potential. You're, it's going to help you not have a potential DNF the first time out because you had the wrong springs or you had the wrong setup on your bearings or what have you wrong carburetor um yeah i think it's a really good tool for that and also if you have something then you want to i don't know keep it safe like we've we've uh 
we've taken on some damage in our other in the Kaysinger Bronco in in the Pioneer class, not intentional, but you know accidents ha can happen when you do ten races in a row. Um, you can take some body damage. So if you have something that you want to protect a little bit, like Big Ole or uh, the Colts Drop Bronco. <laughs> you can take it on the slow Baja and have less of a chance of messing it up or, or wrecking it. Um, I think when I did that pre-drive in January, trying to find, you know, a thousand miles that weren't even going to scratch big Ole, And we literally LSAO and I literally discussed hedge clippers, you know, pruning shears. And could we prune this? Cause there's someone, there's so much water there in January. Could we prune these bushes back in mid April to make sure that it wasn't going to get pinstriped? Well, Anyways, best laid plans of mice and men. Right. I remembered you told me that, too, because I, uh, I went through that section that was going to get pruned. It was on the first day, and we were driving through that wash, and there's, I'm like, hey, they didn't prune this. No, they didn't and prune it. And Flannery was like, what? I'm like, never mind. <laughs> I mean, we talked about it, but there's a lot of things that got talked about that didn't yeah. get done there. All right. Well, hey, you've been super generous with your time. Uh, BajaBroncos.com, BajaBroncos on Instagram, Andrew Norton. If you want to talk Broncos or Baja, he's a great guy. And thanks for making some time. And that issue, Dusty Times, I think that's number three. Yes, that has your story is. in. That's a terrific read. So Dusty Times, check them out. You can find them online and um, buy that magazine and subscribe. It's a beautiful annual. Uh, it's almost a book. It's a, it's, it is. It's, it's, it's stunning. Very and really done. beautifully prepared with fabulous stories like yours. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you. All right. That's been a pleasure. See you soon. Have I told you about my friend True Miller? You've probably heard the podcast, but let me tell you, her vineyard adobe guadalupe winery is spectacular from the breakfast at her communal table bookended to an intimate dinner at night their house-bred azteca horses solomon the horseman will get you on a ride that'll just change your life the food the setting the pool it's all spectacular adobeguadalupe.com for appearing on Slow Baja today, our guests will receive the beautiful Benchmark Map 72-page Baja Road and Recreation Atlas. Do not go to Baja without this, folks. You never know when your GPS is going to crap out, and you're going to want a great map in your lap. Trust me. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Uh, it's cool that I got a chance to uh, drive up to Andrew's spread and sit down in his garage and talk to him about uh, the history of Broncos in Baja, and he's just a wealth of information. Um, if you like what I'm doing here, folks, please, 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 we're 100 shows in. Drop a taco in the tank. You can do that through clicking the link in Instagram or Facebook or checking out slowbaja.com and click the donate link. That's uh, the only way that I can keep this thing going. Um, the, sh the Slow Baja store is currently shut down because of my move, but it'll be open soon. And uh, I do have uh, stacks of stickers with me. So if you do make a donation, the only way you can get that, ask your doctor if Baja is right for you bumper sticker is through meeting me somewhere on the trail in Baja or by dropping a taco in the tank. And again, can't say it sincerely enough. I do appreciate all donations, small and large. So thanks for that. And I'll be back with something fun soon. Take care. And as our dear friend, Steve McQueen says, Baja's life, anything that happens before or after is just waiting. Waiting.